are blessed. You are complete in yourself. Fully whole. Fully unified. As Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Help us to understand. Help us to worship you in your Trinity and in your unity. Thank you for the community of yourself, ever giving, ever loving, ever glorifying yourself. Church actually is. So let's say sometimes it's the right. Church is not a building. 
for the building can be used by the church. Church is not a denomination, though it's not a belief should be important to the church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meaning. Church is not about one person, personality, though every church should be pastor. And church is not about size and growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go. Hands do. This Church isn't what you're sitting through right now because you are the church. Now go and be the church. And, and we know, God, as they teach and as they preach, and 
And we pray that you would empower them and encourage them and strengthen them. I thank you for all of our teachers downstairs that are pouring their hearts out to our children. May our kids understand who you are better. For all the various ministries, God, that go on all over, we, we ask you, God, that you would do a work in us and through us. We thank you again, Father, for the blessings and for the opportunity to meet together. We know that Christians all over the world don't have this privilege. We know that even recently, we didn't have this privilege. So we don't take it for granted. And we say thank you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You know, God's plan is the church. No, no, you've been around. You've heard that. Maybe you've read through the Bible and you've read that. And maybe because it's so familiar, you just kind of think, okay, that, that's the plan. But really? This is God's plan? The church? That's you and me? Now again, you may think highly of yourself. And you may really think, great plan. But during your quiet moments and you look at yourself in the mirror, you're going like, are you kidding me? Really? I, I think it's shocking as we think through. But can you imagine what was going through the disciples' minds? They had just spent three years with Jesus. And it was now time for them to leave the nest. We're saying, what? We need more time. We need you. Like every time we get in the pickle, you're around, Jesus. Come on, help us. Don't, don't be giving us this thing you're going to be taking off. I think it's a time when our kids or when our ministry partners are ready to take off. It's terrifying for parents and disciple makers. It really is. You have reared your children. They are prepared. They've gone through all the tests. You've been working with different individuals. You know they understand the doctrine. And by today, you better understand the Trinity. You know, we're just kidding. I understand the Trinity. You know, but when we pour into people. And then we finally say, okay, it's time. It's time for you to fly. It's time for you to leave the nest. It's time for you to pick up another person or two and begin discipling them and helping them in their relationship with God. Go! And all of a sudden, they look at you. Say, wait a minute. Uh, are you sure I'm ready? And I kind of think that's where the disciples were. But Jesus wasn't hesitant. He said, I'm sending you out now to make disciples. Almost the last thing he said to the disciples in Matthew 28, he says, I've been given all authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
teach these new disciples to obey me in every area. That's what I want you to do. You're done. Training's done. Go. I want you to go. Then he said this. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit, though. We read this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when that happens, you will be my witnesses to everybody. Telling people about me everywhere. In fact, that's the mark of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Is this boldness? Is this desire for you to be able to proclaim good news to people who are dying? Now, actually, the disciples, in spite of their fear, did just that in the rest of history. Then the church was born at Pentecost, and all the important details were recorded for us in the book of Acts. The gospel was preached. The good news. The king was here and has arrived. And I, I just want you to know, you've broken people, you people that have been looking for the Messiah, you're looking for a savior. He is here now. You put your faith and your trust in him. And you can become a son or a daughter of God. So the gospel was preached and, and churches were planted and lives were transformed and hope was abundant, especially in the history of our church. But it's been over 2,000 years and much has changed. Or has it? The gospel is still changing lives and churches are still being planted. But in our culture, the church has been stained. The church has a poor reputation. And really, there are many reasons for this, but mostly because of ungodly shepherds and sheep. Think of that. Yet for many of us, the church has played a central role in our lives, so we don't want to abandon it. Most are not disappointed with Jesus, but they are disappointed in the church. Therefore, they just aren't committed to one. They have a lot. And they often look at churches the way one looks at babies. What does he or she have to offer? Is this person fun, rich, or popular? Or what can this church or fellowship or organization offer me? What are the amenities? What are the things they got going? Uh, do I get involved in this church because of this happening? Sadly, for the most part, our culture has made the church about us. But God sees the church differently. It is lovely. It is beautiful. It is the bride of Christ. The church, as we learned in our bumper, is not a building. 
It is the redeemed, the family of God, the body of Christ. God the Father is making her beautiful by His presence, by walking with us. Jesus, God's Son, is the bridegroom who is reconciling the world to himself. He's the head of the church and loves his body dearly. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity and brings beauty out of chaos. He is our helper, our intercessor, our assistant, our advocate, our comforter, our counselor, our equipper, our sustainer. He changes us from the inside out, making us look more and more and more like Jesus. He is gifting us to serve each other and to build each other up. So as we walk with God, we mirror God to others, bearing fruit and representing Him well, which makes the church beautiful. At least in theory. Even alluring. Now, baptism and the Lord's Supper are two ways that God makes the church beautiful. We have some of this. But baptism is an act of obedience and part of the discipleship process. Biblical baptism signifies a turning away from sin, a full-fledged embrace of Christ, and a believer's willingness to identify with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. It's a celebration where the redeemed tell their stories of God's grace. The Lord's Supper causes believers to reflect back to when their sins were atoned for by the spotless Lamb of God. While looking forward to the great marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a time to remember, to examine, and if necessary, to confess and to repent. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to start reading in verse 23, where the Apostle Paul shares a little bit of what happens during the Lord's Supper. He writes this, For I pass out of you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine after supper, saying the cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats the bread 
or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily, is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment by yourself. So part of the Lord's Supper is for us to remember. It's for us to reflect, to go back and understand what it cost Jesus. So that we might be called the sons and the daughter of God. The blood that was shed so that our debt might be paid. The body that was broken so that we might be redeemed. So it's a somber time, but a grateful time. But it's also a time to examine. To ask God, and maybe pray a little bit like the psalmist prayed in Psalm 139. Lord, is there anything in me? Is there something that's keeping me from you? Is there some sin I need to confess? Are there some areas in my life I need to own? I need to ask for forgiveness, or I need to forgive others. So we examine. So let's do that right now. Reflect and examine. And in just a moment, we'll partake together. The church is about family and rejoicing and service. The church is about proclaiming, enduring, and walking. 
the church is about being the bride. Adored, beautiful, and loved. You know, I've talked a lot about the church and maturing as a Christian. So practically, how does that work here at Crosspoint? So many good local churches around. And each one is going to try to encourage you to walk with the Lord well. Let's try to make the cross point pathway simple for you. For those who are newer, it's going to help you understand. For those who have been around for a while, be a reminder. But the pathway is simple. Grow in your up, in, and out relationships. Growing in these relationships will draw people to Christ and build this church. Well, what is an up and in and out relationship? Up is your relationship with God. In is your relationship with those other believers inside these walls, inside this church. Out are the relationships you have with folks outside our church. In particularly, the unredeemed. Those not saved yet. Now the truth is, is that Christians normally do well in one of these relationships. So, so many of us, including myself, have a way to grow in all of these. Jesus did well in all three relationships, modeling for us how to live abundantly in a broken world. You know, our up relationship is critical. It's the most important relationship because everything flows from it. Jesus did up well. Jesus, who is fully man and fully God, whoa, I, I bet as you came today, you weren't thinking about, there's going to be some tough things. Whoa. We're, we're talking about the Trinity, three and one and one and three. And now we're talking about Jesus, who is 100% man and 100% God, and that doesn't add up either. But that's what the scriptures tell us. And so Jesus, while he was here on this planet, he walked with his Father. He had an amazing relationship. And the Gospels are filled with examples. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the scripture says, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up, went out to an isolated place to pray before any of the busyness happened. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, the scripture says, Jesus often went through the wilderness for prayer. Now think of that. If anybody didn't need to pray, I mean, for eternity, he's hung out with his father, right? Like, really? And you look at that and you go, wow, if Jesus needed time with his dad, I certainly do. Christ's up relationship was amazing, which meant a perfect balance in his life. He was content doing life at God's pace and in God's direction. Our relationship with God begins when we believe we put our faith and trust in Christ. Now, God is always gracious. He's always faithful. He's always available. So to be blunt, intimacy with God depends on us. 
be always there. We will never drift in a great relationship. Which simply again means you have to spend time with God if you want your relationship to grow. If you want to become more intimate with God, it must be intentional. To be quite honest, a 40 minute message once a week is not going to cut it. Just isn't. It's spending time in the Word, it's learning. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it puts this in perspective. As Peter says this, crave spiritual milk. Just like babies crave the bottle. Oh, every one of you know what that means. If a baby is hungry, oh my word, mom better be around you. You better have that bottle. Because that infant will bellow and shout and cry. And look at you like you're the creepiest person in the whole world. That is the illustration that Peter gives of the gospel. This is so Crave it. Psalm 119. One of the things I did over these last few weeks is just spend time in Psalm 119. And one verse hit me as I was preparing this message. It was verse 111. And the scripture says this, Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. The word of God is something that I treasure. This office right. So not only do we spend time in the Word, but we spend time in prayer. We keep talking about it. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, never stop talking to God. Never stop praying. Never stop interacting with your Father. And following and obeying the, is the necessary response to grow in intimacy. In Joshua 1.8, right before Joshua, takes over the complete leadership of Israel. And he's going to bring people into the promised land. Two million Jews. This was God's advice to him. Uh, Joshua, I want you to study this book of the law continually. 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 I want you to meditate on it. Day and night. Day and night. So that you'll be able to obey everything. And then you're going to prosper, Joshua. And, and we look at that and say, oh, well, I get it. But, but really, study. You know, I'll be there occasionally. I'll, I'll kind of go through. I'll, I'll have devotions. You know, I'll get something sent to me in my inbox every single day. None of them, I mean, every one of those are good things. But there was something that God said, hey, you know what's really important? You've got to know what's in here. Meditate on it. Think about it. Meditation to me, the best way to look at it is memory. Say it over and over and over and over again. Get it in your head. How cool is that? You know, our in 
relationships are also important. Connecting well with those inside our walls. Jesus, again, did his in-relationships really well. As you read about Jesus, especially in the Gospels, Jesus had a rabbi-student relationship, a little bit different than most of us are used to. But basically, he did life with these guys for three years. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, we hear this, that Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And so many of us look at that verse and say, okay, well, well God's, uh, or Jesus is going to teach a lot of ministry. And that's true. But do you realize what his invitation was? Come follow me. Come do life with me. Spend time with me. The group's going to do this. This is going to be important in life. Jesus was intentional. If you look at Luke chapter 9, 10, and 11, these are fantastic chapters. Because in my opinion, it just kind of puts life in perspective. Jesus is teaching the disciples. He equips the disciples. He does ministry with the disciples. He then sends them out two by two and gives them all power and authority. And then when they come back, they debrief. You know, that's not what the Bible says, but that's what they did. They got together and talked about it. And then during this time, Jesus teaches them about prayer, encourages them to pray, and teaches them how to deal with difficult people. Jesus talks about loving their neighbor and kingdom priorities. And it just encouraged me in just a few chapters how important it was that Jesus had a group. And he lived life with that group. Jesus made the 12 a priority and did life for them for three years. You know, we operate differently than our first century friends. I understand that. But struggling well with life together and using your gifts to serve others sacrificially and joyfully is still very much a priority, even though making disciples will look a little bit different. Since Jesus was intentional in developing relationships, we also need to make this a priority. We will never drift into quality relationships with others. It doesn't happen. You know, our Sunday celebration service, the service you're all in right now, is a great place, actually, to meet people. But something happens in our service, probably like in no other church, I'm sure. But right after service, newer folks are a little intimidated, even if they enjoy the ministry. And they make a buzz. Others who have been around for like a hundred years, all right, they need to be like into the fence. And honestly, for 45 minutes, 50 minutes, conversations are happening. That's all good. But I guess what I would like to do is push the envelope here. Because realistically, there may be times that you have a bear's game to go to. 
and I'm just grateful you came here first. All right? And you have to get out of here. Although I'm not sure why. No. Um, that's what we're going to be. All right? So realistically, what I want to encourage is that you can be intentional right here, greeting others, hoping to make a connection. And when you meet new people, doesn't mean you don't hang out with other ones. But you begin to learn how to ask questions, to be curious, to listen well. Maybe this is a time when they're newer that you invite them to a CPC event. Like, hey, I know you weren't planning on coming to our backyard bash, but I am telling you, there are seats and I'm going to hang out with you. And don't you all want to throw somebody into the dump tank? Well worth it. All right? And you be a friend. Maybe even do this, is you ask them, would you be open to grab a cup of coffee? Or go out for some dessert? I'd love to do that later on and just get to know you. Get to know you. Another intentional way to get connected is by joining a cross-point group. Now, so many different groups are doing life together in this church. Our groups meet in order to encourage one another on their spiritual journeys and support others in the challenges and the joys of life. We have many groups because we are all in different places in life. Now, some groups meet weekly, others twice a month, and even others meet during various seasons throughout the year. We have family groups that meet for a meal before having discussion and prayer. We have Bible study groups and prayer groups and life stage groups. There are ministry groups, groups that serve together. There are discipleship and mentoring groups. But we do know this, is that you will naturally deepen relationships with others when you, when I, am in a group. So let me encourage those who are in a group to invite others to join you. I can't even tell you how many times people have said no to me in joining a group. Now, it could be my tact, and it could be my pressure, and it could be my threats, all right? So I understand it. But I know this, is that if I know something's important, and you do, it's really important for you to encourage others to join me in this area. Secondly, I encourage those not in a group. And I could give you some reasons, and maybe it would hit one of your reasons, but, but let me say it this way. Would you be open to one? That's all. Would you be open to one? Would you give it a shot? If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. In fact, what I found out, it takes two or three or four times to be able to find the right fit sometimes. But if you're not part of a group and you are open to one, would you let us know? You'll hear me at the end of the service talk about a connection card. Just put on there, I would like to know more information about group. 
identity in the design. Lastly, our out-relationships are important. Now, Jesus showed us how to do out well. In fact, the word on the street about Jesus, listen to this, Luke chapter 7, verse 34. The Son of Man feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard. And by the way, he wasn't a glutton or a drunkard. I'm just saying this is what people are saying about Jesus. And a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Do you realize when people saw Jesus, they said, hey, that's the dude who's a glutton and a drunk. And all he does is hang out with folks who are, uh, shall we say, not too popular. Wow. Jesus spent time with sinners so he could share good news. The good news we find out very beginning in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, one of the first things that come out of his mouth is, hey, the kingdom of God is here. Hey, the thing that you've been waiting for is here. The king has arrived. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The good news is I've come to give you life, abundant, eternal. We find out in Luke chapter 19 that Jesus came to seek out and to save the lost. Very interesting. Because none of those things will happen if Jesus never hung out with them. Now, I think many of us probably need to think differently about the loss. And, and I know I, I may be treading on thin ice here, but work with me if you want. Lost people are drowning and will die without a savior. There's no one in this building, if you were in a boat, and there was some shouting for help. Who drive away? I don't think. You really need counsel. But what? You would do something. I don't know what you would do, but you would do something. You would never do that. But really, people without Jesus will spend eternity separated from God. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, anyone who was found not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now I just want to stop and just say this. Do you believe lost people are going to spend time about Jesus? If I took a survey, my guess is most of you would say, check that box. I, I, I believe that. And sometimes our beliefs don't work out in our actions. Secondly, God loves the world and offers life to everyone. Of course, so many did know John 3 16, for God so loved the world. He gives life and offers life to anyone who believes in Him. But my question is this Do you believe? God loves you 
and the rest of this world and desires for them to have life. God uses people to share good news of a Savior and of their story of redemption. Let me put it this way. We who are believers or part of God's family are considered sent people. That's what God sees. Let me read some scriptures to you. Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 5. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So Paul is encouraging this church at Colossae to, hey, hang out with the unredeemed. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Paul writes Timothy and says, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Listen to this next line. Work at telling others the good news. Strategize. Figure it out. Work. First Peter chapter 3, verses 7 and verse 15. And if anyone asks you about your hope as a believer, that means you're hanging out with unbelievers. That means somehow your life is attractive. Somehow you're gracious. Sometimes we don't act that way. But Peter says, hey, be ready. As you hang out, always be ready to explain it in a gentle and a respectful way. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go to all the world and preach the good news to everyone. everyone. And my question is this. Do you believe that we are sons of people? Do you believe that? Now, if you've been redeemed, and many of you are sitting here are, you have a story of God's grace. You do. I was dead and I'm alive. I had no hope before I met Jesus. And now I have hope in life. I was an enemy of God. And now I'm a friend of God. You believe that? This is unbelievable. That's God's grace. Now listen to this. If you believe God is sovereign, another hard thing to kind of get our arms around. But that everything that happens, happens because God allows it or God ordains it. That he is king. That everyone you or I meet is a divine appointment. It's not an accident. The people you live next door is not an accident. The person you bump into. The folks you work with. None of these are accidents. God has ordained it. God is sending you to someone who needs to hear about Jesus. Flat. Now, I want to encourage 
you to live life and for me to live a life like a sent person. And when I say that, actually, I want you to know what I'm asking and what God is actually, actually, actually asking. You are going to be uncomfortable. He is calling you for a life of being uncomfortable. Let me share with you some things I'm learning. I'm learning to pursue spiritual conversations. If I believe that the people I'm hanging out with, the people that are by me, that God is allowing me to influence them, to be with them, that I need to pursue spiritual conversations. Not some unkind, ungracious way, kind of shouting at people, but to be able to talk to them in ways that might get them thinking. You know, I use my pastor card a lot, not because it really is popular, but what happens is this, is that when I meet someone and we're talking, somebody says, you know what, I'm a pastor, and I have the opportunity all the time to be able to share that God loves others, and that he sent his son to, and I did the whole gospel message in about 18 seconds. Okay? And I can look at people's eyes. And I can see, are they somewhat interested? But I share with them just what I do. Every one of you have opportunities to do something like that. I may mean, even at the end of my conversation talk about, hey, is that at all tragic to you? Or are you on any kind of a spiritual journey? Or what is your image of God? Or what do you think about the church? All of these things are opportunities for us to encourage spiritual conversations. Another thing that I share, and this is a little bit weird, but I, I think if you start thinking this way, I start to share with people what, I, what God's teaching me, what I'm learning that day, what God is convicting me about. I'm not expecting them to even understand it. But you know what? I'm learning this, and God is sharing this with me, and I know that my heart is a little hard in this area. Are your neighbors looking at you going, okay? Why are you telling me this? I, I don't, what are you learning today? You know, what's going on? And I just think again, as we look at this, some of us don't make this a priority. I'm learning to look around and be less focused on the calendar because God is sending me people. I am so glued to my calendar. I get this much for this meeting. I gotta get this, and I better do this. So even when I get home and get out of the car, I'm already 15 minutes late. And if I say hi to Esmeralda, that's not a neighbor, but I don't want to use the real neighbor's names, okay? I ain't going to pipe her out. Go open my restaurant out in. What kind of a jerk am I? 
well, I'm either really afraid of my wife, or I just need to come home 15 minutes early so that things are peaceful at home. That kind of thing. I'm going to need to think outside the box. You know, this is something that happens out of the neighborhood, and I just want to confess, okay? I'm going to talk really fast. I But we have this thing in our neighborhood where all the guys open their garage doors and sit in their garage. I have never understood this. Why? You have a backyard. You have a nice porch. You have something. And in my soul, I'm both, I'm not going over there because this is stupid. You don't want to wager. Put a chair out in your dang garage. Or bring a chair across the street and sit in the garage. Okay. Let's see how that goes. I also want you to know this. I'm praying for five lost people. Actually, more than five lost people. I'm actually praying. And when I find out I'm praying for them, do you know I'm looking for different opportunities to share them? I just that. I'm praying, God, would you open their eyes? God, would you use me? God, would you make an opportunity? Would you give me an opportunity to be able to share my story of your grace? Do I do everything perfectly? No, I don't. But these are things, again, I want to grow in, and I'm growing in. If you've been around here, we encourage the BELLS strategy. It's an acronym. B-E-L-L-S. Where B stands for blessing three people this week. For no good reason other than, hey, I want to bless you. And hopefully, two out of the three are unredeemed. So that you grace them. All right? E. E is for eat. Oh, I like that part. Okay, eat. Eat with three people this week. Two, maybe unredeemed. Hopefully. The next L, again, just kind of a, a, a strategy. You don't have to do it this way. But learn. Spend some time with Jesus. Read especially the Gospels. See how Jesus loves people. Second out, listen. Be quiet. Listen to what God is teaching you. And ask is share. Share the good news. Share your story. Let me ask you this. Would you commit to being intentional in growing throughout relationships this summer? When mingling, being with the not yet redeemed, and trusting God for an opportunity to share your story be one of your priorities this summer. Let me end with this. In Luke chapter 3, we find the ministry of John the baptizer. And he's going out in the desert and he's preaching and basically we call it, he's preaching fire and brimstone. He's just He's pouring it out. But God's using this. And people are being convicted. 
And it's so interesting, there's three times after he preaches that the people say this. What should we do, John? What should we do? You're preaching, we're hearing this, but what should we do? Actually, I was convicted about that and think I need to ask that more often as I read the Word of God. Not only that was a nice topic, or not only that was really encouraging my soul, but what do you want me to do? What is it that you're putting a fire under me to do, God? And I think being intentional in all three of these relationships is something God may be asking us. Not only your passion, but us to do as a church. That we are intentional in all three of these relationships. That we start living as a church with a sense mentality because it changes all of our relationships. Our up, our in, and out. As I pray today, would you all stand with me? Would you just stand? And I'm going to pray over you as a people. I'm going to bless you. And then we'll finish our worship. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for your church, your bride, your beautiful bride, the bride you're refining. There's not one person in this room that has their acts totally together, Father. Each one of us needs to look at these relationships differently. We pray, dear God, that you would convict us in areas that we need to grow in. That you would encourage us in areas we are doing well in. I pray, Father, as the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, that each of us will understand the incredible greatness of God's power that is available to each one of us who believe. Lord, you are living in us. And you are giving us power to make a difference. Would we do that? Would we walk with you and surprise our world? We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.